You're listening to Cherishing Scripture Podcast, a podcast that's changing society by cherishing Scripture. Why do you need to carry an amulet around in your pocket that says WWJD to remind you what Jesus would do? Isn't that the Holy Spirit's job? But it seems like a lot of men are trying to manufacture this difference as opposed to letting it naturally happen. Exactly. And the exactly Bible, right. The Bible naturally changes people and makes them different. In debates, when you get in a debate with someone, you know that you've won the debate when they turn personal. Yeah. They're attacking these preachers that are standing for their liberty. And right. when they can't find anything biblically wrong with this person, they start picking out other things. Yep. And if you don't think that those two things can overpower and overtake you, you're pretending. Right. And now here's your hosts, Pastor Brad Bailey, Adam Capps, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Boggs. Thanks again for tuning in with us, guys. This is Brad Bailey here, Cherishing Scripture Podcast. I'm here with with Zachary Taylor behind the sound booth, making us sound wonderful and good. And uh, to my left over here on the far end there is Jeremy Boggs, wonderful person, a great, great guy in our church here, and uh, coordinates a lot of things for us, makes a lot of these podcasts possible, to be honest with you. And then Adam Capps, just taken over recently, leading the singing for us in our church here, song minister, and... and uh, uh, another great addition to us here. We're very blessed to have these guys with us. So we went long last time, and we want to try to condense as much as we can. But this is such a fruitful subject. You know, we, we were talking about God hates shrimp. This is the first time, disclaimer here, the first time we've all talked about this together as a group. Yeah. There's been a little chit-chat here and yonder. <laughs> but this is the first time we've we've talked about this together for a group. I'm not sure I totally understand this title and this concept, but my understanding of it thus far is that uh, those who are trying to advance the homosexual agenda are insisting that if you hate or if you despise the sin of homosexuality, you uh, must of necessity also despise shrimp because both of those are addressed only in the the Old Testament. So the problem with that is that's not exactly true. Right. Um, as students of Scripture, we can all, all, all four of us here can report to you that the greatest concentration on the condemnation of the homosexual lifestyle is in Romans chapter 1, in fact, where it talks about uh, male homosexuality and lesbianism in one chapter, and it gives the spiritual state of a person who has fallen into that type of sin. And so I think what we kind of agreed upon uh, in the break after we sat together and chit-chatted about this a little bit is that maybe we'll bounce the ball around each other and uh, maybe I could moderate here asking a couple of questions and giving some comments once in a while as well. Yeah. Uh, the first thing, you know, that we would want to make clear, at least I would want to make clear, is that this is not a homophobic podcast. Uh, we're not tr- We're not out here to try to, you know, bash homosexuals or condemn homosexuals. We're just here to tell you, what the Bible says. We believe right. the Bible and everything in it from cover to cover is our thesis and our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And because the Bible is vocal about the subject of homosexuality, um, we feel that uh, that is a message that needs to be sent for the health of our country, for the mental health, the spiritual health, and quite frankly also for the physical health of our country. And so... Yeah. Um, uh, I'll just throw something out there. We've been we we were talking last time a little bit, just a little bit about masculinity and things of that nature. I heard a statement from 
uh, from, a, a, I guess you could call him a sage. He made the statement. He said, you better make your boys into men before society makes them a woman. Mm. And this is the breakdown of the clearly drawn biblical lines between masculinity and femininity that exist in our world today. James Dobson said uh, in his book, Bringing Up Boys, James Do- I'm a huge fan of James Dobson's books, and James Dobson actually said that they did an experiment. Toys R Us did an experiment, and they uh, had, were under pressure from the feminist world. They had been told that they should no longer impose the colors of blue and pink upon children, um, that boys uh, should become more familiar with the pink lifestyle, and that girls, because they're so you know, level-headed and, and more uh, neutral when it comes to things of that nature, that girls didn't have to move, but boys should become more familiar with their feminine side. And so they... Um, they started marketing girls' toys to boys in the 1990s. And what they found out is boys were willing to take girls' toys and play with girls' toys. Uh, but when that toy started getting a little wear on it, they didn't have a problem shoving a, shoving a, um, a firecracker in it, blowing it to pieces. Yeah. So even when they were expected to be feminine, they still naturally acted masculine because that's the way God created boys to be. God creates boys to be masculine. To blow things up. Yeah, which, to explode way. things and pull off their heads and, and uh, gouge out the little eyeballs. And, which also, you know, by the way, they're, like a zombie. They're, um, they're even removing the Mr. and Mrs. from the potato heads. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, they already have done that. Yeah, yeah. hilarious. So yeah, now, to become a gender neutral. A gender neutral <laughs> right. Uh, Which again, eat. taking the masculine potato partner, Mister. I only eat male potatoes. Well, and that's well, that, that's probably, <laughs> and a lot of that is because they believe, and wow. this is, this is a, a debatable topic here, but they believe that the problem with our society is masculinity. Mm-hmm. They believe that they do see it as a weakness. They, they do see, see that it as masculinity a is the issue with our society. I think it's the issue. Yeah, I think the lack of it is the issue. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, yeah, the counter. What I was about to say, yeah. um, but no. You know, I've been studying this for twenty years. I've been I've been in child psychology for nearly twenty years. You know, dealing with it, both youth camps and counseling people in schools and and church and so on and so on and so forth. And I can tell you, there is a concerted, organized collusion against masculinity in the United States, and it started in the seventies. And then the pendulum swung so far, boys were starting to fall apart by the 80s. Then it swung all the way back the other day. And in the 80s, we got He-Man, we got G.I. Joe, we got the masculine toys, you know, the, uh, the guns that shoot darts and all these kinds of things. But then in the 1990s, it started swinging back the other way. Phil Donahue and some of the guys, you know, were standing up and beating this drum about, you know, boys are too rambunctious, boys are too, you know, uh, uh, just too violent. They need to be toned down. That that needs to be fixed. And so the effort to fix boys became the feminization of our country. Mm, and scary. it is very scary. It's very scary because, quite frankly, every generation that has come and gone has thought that the generation after them was a little effeminate. Now think about that. The generation... You know, I'm the oldest one in the room here. 
By far. And the gener- <laughs> <laughs> right. And the generation before me, they thought my generation was effeminate. And I can tell you that in my generation, I look at the generation after me and I see a group of, of men who are, in my estimation, a lot of them struggling with their masculinity. And so with every generation, the opinion has been that there's been a weakening of masculinity and a weakening of the... He's basically telling you that you're more effeminate than he is. I'm setting I was up trying, I was here. really trying carefully not to say it that way. <laughs> I'm just fine. But but I mean, I mean, and Adam, I mean, you're, you're, you're really devoted to this subject. You know, you've got a beautiful family and, uh, you know, you're raising two boys, two girls and, and doing a wonderful job. Uh, you know, I mean, this, this is a crisis. Yeah, it's a major, major crisis. You know, and it's something I I work with young, a lot of young men in in our school, and it's something I've noticed. It's it's very uh, strange. I always try to, even in um, PE or in sports, I try to breed a a competitive nature in young men because I believe that that's, and I don't mean in a way of tearing other people down so that you can be ahead of them. But really pushing yourself and not just being okay with the norm. And I think that a lot of this has been uh, kind of looked down upon, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you want to talk about our generation, uh, Pastor. And I think part of that is because nowadays, if you go out even to sports, the one thing I hate, my biggest pet peeve with sports is participation awards. They actually <laughs> drive me up a wall. And when I was a young man, I'm not even going to lie to you. When my dad was uh, in sports, there was no such thing as a participation award. You didn't get a medal for being on the team. When I was there, they would some some coaches would give them out, but I wouldn't take it. Let me tell you, I hated participation awards because to me, it's here's something so you don't feel bad about losing. Yeah, exactly. Let me let me. I I played basketball one time for a church cut type school thing right and um for one season was terrible at it and at the end of that season so basically they split us up into two groups because they didn't have anybody to play with so the entire basketball just split up in two groups and one of them won every single game i was part of the the team that did not win every single game Mm -hmm. and at the end of that they decided to give everybody a participation award and i kept it for my shame constantly i look at it and it tells me you're terrible at everything. That's what that thing stands for to me. So if you're out there, anybody, and think it's a good idea to yeah. give your child, your son, a participation award, you are doing that to their shame. But yeah. I said that to say, say that. there's no, there's no, um, to me personally, and I may be wrong on this, and I'm willing to be wrong, but I think that that takes away a part of that, that, that men are naturally competitive and yeah. They have that edge about them, and yeah. to take that way is taking a huge way, a huge part of uh, masculinity away. And I, I talked to you guys about this off air, and it's something maybe if y'all want to talk about, we can. Uh, but I was listening to a man, and he talked about teaching your young men to be monsters, and then teaching them how to control that. Now this person probably isn't saved, so I don't know if I would necessarily use the term monsters uh, in the same context he did. But I agree with him, and his reasoning yeah. behind that was you would rather have a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Mm. And I think what we're seeing today in our society is a lot of gardeners about to enter a war and not enough warriors and we are not ready. gardeners. 
Yeah. We are in not gardens, ready. Rather. If you go back into, and this is going to be before you guys again here, but if you go back into the, the tennis game of the 1980s, um, uh, you had um, Martina Navratilova playing tennis. Uh, you had some of the other female tennis players. And at the end of their tennis match, you know, they would meet each other at the net and shake each other's shake each other's hand, give each other a hug, and the winner of those female tennis matches would look at the loser and say, "Hey, keep your chin up. You know, I I, I just happen to have a good day. You'll probably beat me next time. No worries. Don't hold this against yourself. Very comforting. Very um, uh, diplomatic in their in their communication." And then you had the male tennis games. That's where you had uh, who's the hot shot tennis player back then? John McEnroe. And John McEnroe cared nothing about your feelings. He cared absolutely nothing about about you know walking over and patting you on the back and saying, "Hey man, hey I love you, buddy. It was a good match. Somebody had to lose. It just happened to be you. You'll get me next time." You would have never heard John McEnroe say that. Never, right. never in a million years. He wanted to smash you and squish your nose down in the dirt. And so everything, ten, even in the game of tennis, everything was um, differentiated male and female until you had Arthur Ashe. And Arthur Ashe was the first homosexual black tennis player to come out of the closet and be celebrated. And now when you watch the ESPYs, you guys are Googling him to find out who he is, aren't you? Because this is way before y'all's time. <laughs> Now when you watch the ESPY Awards on ESPN, they give the Arthur Ashe Award to uh, people who are on board with the homosexual agenda. And I don't remember when it was, but two or three years ago, the Arthur Ashe Award went to Caitlyn Jenner. And so this is – and Caitlyn Jenner, by the way, is actually Bruce Jenner, who was a a gold medal award-winning track star uh, from the state of California. And – he has gone through the sex change, gone through the sexual reassignment surgeries. And, and is and, therefore brave. Yeah, and is considered brave. And so my point, you know, going back to what you guys are saying, what you guys were saying here, my point to add is simply this, that, you know, we're living in a society where this is no longer thought of through the lens of Bible and through the lens of spirituality, but it is thought of through the lens of what is acceptable in the common public nowadays. Right. And that is... That is where the crisis has been ramped up 10,000 times is, uh, uh, you know, I remember reading one author who said it's hard to teach respect or it's hard to teach manners when manners are not being displayed. And that's exactly where we are. It's impossible to teach masculinity when masculinity is not being displayed. Yeah. And I I would say that that is probably why, you know, what is the most uh, destructive thing in our time is the lack of manhood. You know, yeah. I've said this before in Sunday school lessons, and I think I've said it before on podcasts. But I, everything, and I am one hundred percent convinced, everything comes back to a man's issue. The reason, oh, no question I'll about it. A, a man, if the man is right with God, his home would get right with God. Yeah. And Absolutely. if his home gets right with God, that goes to the church. And True. then when the church gets right with God, it continues. It's a domino effect that I keeps agree. going. Um, his heart, his home, then the house of God. Right. So we always. You know, we say revival start, starts in the church, but really it all goes back 
if there's going to be any type of spiritual awakening, it's got to go back to the man getting it right first. Absolutely. And um, and, and God obviously 100% supports um, men being men and masculinity, um, especially in leadership. I think maybe it sort of comes down to lazy men. And here's my reasoning why I believe that's the case. is because everything rises and falls on leadership, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's hard being a leader of anything. Yeah. Sure. And the more important the thing is, the harder it is to be a leader of it. Right. Um, a really good illustration of that would be seeing the, I don't know if you guys seen that meme of a president when they got in and then when they got out, hysterical. Mm-hmm. They look so old and decrepit after they get out of being office because of all the stress that they deal with. So um, men have to deal with a great deal of stress when they're the leaders of their home and they have to take responsibility for everything that happens in their home. Mm-hmm. But some of them don't want to. Exactly. Right. And that, that's, you know, you and can sort of understand why because it's exactly. a hefty responsibility. Yeah, the fear of that leadership. Yeah, let, let me ask a personal question, Adam, especially for you. When it comes to the disciplining of your children, I'm not getting into a bunch of details here, but when it comes to the disciplining of your children, who is primarily responsible for that in your home? Um, well, not her. She's, she's calling, calling me right, right now. now. Right. Man, she heard you. Now she's calling me. To give her she's like, I got to tell him it's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I know that the majority of homes have a particular person who is more apt for it. And, and usually that's the father. Um, and, but in my home, I, it's, I've got a weird setup and I don't know if it's a good setup, but I'll share it if everybody wants to know it's the elder to the younger. So the children um, can take care of disciplining their younger siblings if they deem it necessary, obviously under strict supervision so that I make sure that they're being kind and loving the way that I'm being kind and loving to them when I discipline them. And I and everything comes down to leadership, right? She really wants to add what she's got to say now. <laughs> so um, it's about being an example, yeah. I think. And I know I'm not, I'm not directly answering your question, but that's yeah. because all of us are responsible for it collectively. Yeah. I, I can agree with that as a community, sort of the home is sort of a, a microcosm of the community there. But th- the reason I ask that question is because if you look at the feminine influence on boys from the cradle to adulthood, most of their teachers are going to be female. Yes. In many racial cultures, there is virtually no positive male presence, so they're being raised by a grandmother or a single mother, or an aunt, or an older sister, or a combination of those, with no male presence whatsoever. Then, when they, uh, when if they are exposed to some heroic figure that is being exalted in the world today, typically that is going to be uh, a Caitlyn Jenner or someone who is a metrosexual, if not a homosexual, and there's going to be just this constant attack on their natural makeup as, as a God-made boy or as a God-made um, young man. And that is where the breakdown begins. I think it's expounded even because yeah. when they get married or in a relationship, they oftentimes take the less dominant role Correct. in that relationship because it's an easier yeah. role to take. Yeah. But it's not their responsibility. Correct. It's my responsibility a, to be in charge of what happens in my and, home. And the boys know that. The boys naturally know that, and you've probably noticed this being a father of boys. There comes a time somewhere around the age of about two years old that there is a testosterone surge in the body of a boy that begins to make him into more of a thorough boy. 
and at three and four and five, he will begin somewhere in that neighborhood. He will begin a natural detachment from the female figures of his life and will seek out and search for quality time with just him and dad. That's true. So, for example, um, you know, Seth, at his age, you might have heard him on occasion say, hey, dad, let's let's uh, just you and me go to the store Let's leave sure. all the girls behind. Just you, just you and me, Dad. That That's the happens. natural, and it's heartbreaking to a mom mm-hmm. because <laughs> you know she has she has nurtured this child yeah. and maybe even nursed this child, and then all of a sudden he's like, "I, I want to be with Dad. I want to be like Dad." But that is the natural it's way not, that it's God. It's not favoritism. That's not no. What's it isn't. Going on, it isn't. Dad. It's the natural way that God has created them to break question, with their though. femininity and become masculine. Uh, uh, just a question. Um, just a. Uh, um, a, clarify, a clarification of what the question that you had asked Adam about um, the discipline question. Yeah. Um, and just because maybe I misunderstood your question, but um, I don't think discipline in the home should solely be the responsibility of a male, though. No, not solely. Be- because trust my mom whooped my butt. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with <laughs> I mean, that. Here's the problem. But here's, here's the it problem. Comes back that I... to what, because. Um, she knew what my dad expected of the home. Right. So it's still, I mean, I guess in a way it right. would still come down to yeah. a man. Here's my problem. Here, here's my problem with that. If a man abandons his responsibility to discipline his children totally, yeah. if he totally abandons that responsibility, and it's all mom, all mom, all mom, she's the one who's doing the the training in manners. She's the one who's doing the maybe corporal punishment. She's the one she's doing all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. That boy will begin in some cases, he will begin to develop a natural aversion to women. Right. Because mama tells me no mama disciplines me when I'm wrong. Mama scolds me when I don't do my homework. Mama, 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 mama. And so he will begin to develop a natural hatred towards women and it will open his little mind up to the possibility of if I hate women this much, why would I want to be with one for the rest of my life? And he may develop homosexual tendencies yeah. at somewhere in that juvenile age. Yeah, okay. I was, I, that's what I was wondering because I, yeah. I mean, I knew it probably would be that would be the case, but right. Um, like I said I, I don't. I would tell you, my mom. And she told oh, me, up. and if it didn't hey, work, my mom was a single guess mom. What she I know say, the feeling. Wait till your daddy got home, and then right. then you wouldn't bet one hundred percent. Exactly right. So, exactly right. I yeah. agree a thousand percent. I agree a thousand percent. So, man, I feel like we still haven't scratched the surface here no, on this we still whole got thing, a and we're running out of time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a hugely sensitive subject. It's a very important subject. Well, I got to say before we close, you know, yeah. this all comes back to that argument of God hates shrimp. But let me tell you why. Thank God for shrimp. Because <laughs> I, I love some, I Zach, dude, I am on a shrimp kick. You know, I was a little hesitant to talk about this. You know why? Because I've in in my forties, I've developed an allergy to shrimp. Oh, really? That's and so I cool. absolutely love shrimp. I do too. It Look, stinks, you can do man. so much with shrimp. You can fish with it. You can eat it. You can put it with multiple dishes. Shrimp you make kebabs, cocktails with it. I mean, shrimp oh, scampi. I didn't shrimp. say cocktails real quick. But you going you going through the whole uh, yeah cocktail force no. gump thing, man? Eh? Yeah. Shrimp kebab, dude, shrimp, shrimp scampi, shrimp is barbecue shrimp, grilled shrimp. I'm glad we don't live in the Old Testament days because I love shrimp. Yeah, they had a reason for that. I'm glad we don't live in the Old Testament days because I would have been stoned as a kid. That's why I'm pretty glad we <laughs> yeah. don't live in those days. So, That's I mean, a good note to end on right there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's so. a lot of reason I'm glad I'm not in the Old Testament. Right, right.
So we're happy to get your questions. Uh, you can email those to us at info at brandonbaptisttabernacle.com or you can go down to the to the uh, comments section. We're glad to receive them there. Please be respectable. We're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, and we'd appreciate it if you didn't try to hurt ours too, but uh, we, we do want to receive those if we possibly can. If it's something constructive that we can add to the podcast, we're glad to address it on the air. And so um, uh, check us out on YouTube and all the other formats where you get podcasts. Uh, we're glad to uh, glad to have your information there. So uh, Jeremy and Adam and Zachary Taylor, we're glad you guys have joined us with us today and uh, join us again next time. Maybe picking up on this subject again. We'll see how it goes on the Cherishing Scripture podcast. Mm-hmm.